Welcome to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast with your host, Jim Robinson. Hello, and welcome back to the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Robinson. In today's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about cover crops as part of an ongoing series that we're going to do. And so as we think about today's ag economy and with the realities of weed resistance and difficult to control weeds, integrated management strategies for weed control, soil health, and fertility are necessary. Cover crops can play a vital role in addressing numerous objectives for your farm. And so today we're going to start with our first episode of this multi-episode series and look at cover crops and how they can be utilized in order to suppress winter annual weeds, and in even some cases, summer annual weeds. So with us today, we have our guest, Chris Proctor. Chris, could you go ahead and introduce yourself? Absolutely. appreciate the invitation uh, to be on here. So I'm a weed management extension educator uh, with the University of Nebraska. Uh, It's a role I've been in now for about five years. Um, I am based in Lincoln, but get get to see quite a bit of the state uh, in in my role. Um, I do all kinds of things weed management related. So I've I've been involved in a lot of different things, Uh, but of particular interest for me, uh, especially in, in my research is looking at integrative approaches uh, for managing weeds. And so uh, trying to explore what are different tools we can put in our toolbox for managing weeds. And in recent years, you know, that's really led me to investigate uh, the use of cover crops uh, as, a, as a tool for suppressing weeds in our in our cropping systems here in Nebraska. Yeah. So Chris, I'm going to be straight into the point. Can cover crops be an effective tool to suppress winter annual weeds in a cropping system? Yeah, you know, I think the short answer to that question is yes, uh, but as these things go and when plants are involved, uh, there's certainly a lot of nuance to that answer. Yeah, so what would you say is are the most suitable targets for this strategy and, and you know, how much weed suppression can we actually get by going after these targets with cover crops? You know, I, maybe this is scientist in me, uh, makes me want to hedge a little bit, and I would say the... Uh, it's so dependent on our environment. Uh, so y- there's year to year differences. Uh, and, and even within Nebraska, we're such a diverse state in, uh, in this in terms of our uh, uh, growing regions. So that can have a pretty significant uh, impact on uh, uh, how successful cover crops are and what they look like. Uh, you know, that being said, we've done a little bit of work though that look at um, kind of how cover crops uh, interact with, with weeds. Uh, and there was one study I'm thinking of in particular that we did a couple of years ago in North Platte. Uh, we, we did, we, we looked at what's the relationship between weed biomass and cover crop biomass. And there was a couple of interesting things that came out of that study. Uh, so the first thing that, that really stands out to me is, is when cover crop biomass was relatively low, so less than a thousand pounds per acre, that relationship between cover crops and weeds was uh uh, there, there really wasn't anything uh, of note there. So there wasn't a direct relationship between cover crop biomass and weed biomass. Uh, uh, but once we got above that thousand pound threshold uh, and, and above, all of a sudden uh, a relationship starts to emerge where, where as cover crop biomass increases, uh, weed biomass decreases. Uh, and while we never got 100% control of our weeds, we did see that once we were up in that uh, two ton, two and a half ton per acre range in terms of cover crop biomass. Uh, we, we reduced uh, weed biomass from, again, that, that one ton per acre uh, amount of weed biomass if you had no cover crop 
uh, all the way down to maybe uh, closer to 500 pounds per acre of, of, of weed biomass. And so that's a pretty significant decrease in, in, in weed, weed biomass. Absolutely. So you've seen up to a 75% or so reduction in, in weed biomass on just two to two and a half tons of cover crop biomass. And so it sounds like cover crop biomass is the critical factor in uh, the effectiveness of cover crops as a, a weed suppression tool. What are the factors with, with cover crops that a farmer can use in order to uh, accumulate the most biomass or increase his chances to uh, uh, grow the most biomass of cover crops? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I think it's, it's really the question that, that is probably most critical uh, uh, for growers that are thinking about uh, integrating cover crops into, into their system. Uh, mo- a lot of the work we started off doing uh, was what are, what are strategies that we can utilize to integrate cover crops into our corn soybean system without making any real major changes to our, to our cropping system? Because you know, there's, there's certainly more extreme ways to integrate cover crops. You could add wheat to your rotation, for example, uh, mm-hmm. things like that. But, but if you're just trying to keep a corn soybean rotation, really what we're looking about is thinking about is fall planting cover crops after harvest. Uh, and then terminating cover crops again in the spring before before the next uh, uh, crop is planted. And so it's a pretty short window of time for growing cover crops. And a lot of that is over the winter. Um, and so, but what we did find is, is when, when establishing in the fall, planting date had a really strong effect on how much cover crop biomass uh, uh, we could accumulate. And so uh, one particular study I'm thinking of that we did uh, with cereal ryegrass, I uh, looked, at, looked at exactly that planting date fall planting date timing uh, and how much cover crop biomass then we had the next spring and what we what we noticed is right around october 15th there seemed to be a bit of a tipping point uh, uh anything before october 15th we got pretty uh we got a pretty decent cover crop biomass accumulation uh uh that next spring um you know we we're looking at least 15 1500 pounds or more uh, as soon as we passed that october 15th threshold uh, the spring cover crop biomass dropped pretty dramatically. So we were down, you know, less than 500 pounds per acre uh, in that in that instance. And this was across a couple of years and over a couple of different locations. Uh, like I said, there's some variability in the amount of, of biomass that we accumulate. Um, uh, but that October 15 date seemed to hold pretty true. So that would be one, one thing that we thought about. Uh, another study we did looked at the other side of the coin, uh, termination timing. Uh, we had a study that that compared um, termination timing for wheat and and, and cereal rye uh, uh, on May 1st compared to May 15th. So it was just a two week delay in in termination timing. Uh, And it was was across the state at a number of different locations. And we went from, uh, at at one location I'll I'll highlight, uh, we went from about a thousand pound uh, biomass accumulation uh, by May 1st uh, and then by delaying two weeks uh, we were at about 4,500 pounds, uh, uh, so about four and a half tons per acre, uh, just by a two-week delay in our in our termination timing. And so, those extra heat units in the spring can make a world of difference in terms of how much biomass you accumulate in in some of our systems. Absolutely, that's fantastic. There's uh, those two weeks on the spring side, as well as any gains you get it from the uh, earlier planting dates in the fall, can make a huge difference in biomass accumulation. Now. You know, different species of cover crops can uh, have a huge impact on on 
overall biomass accumulation as well as depending on what exactly your goals are with the cover crop. But if biomass is your goal, then uh, you know they can have a huge impact across species. What types of mixes are best suited for weed suppression? This is one of those questions where I think it depends on who you ask to, uh, <laughs> in terms of the answer answer you'll get. Uh, I, I will say most of the work I've done has has focused on weed suppression, and so I'm very much interested in more biomass is better from a weeds perspective. Now that's that's not true across the board in terms of using cover crops. Uh, and, and it depends on your goals. You know, you, you bring up a good point in, in what are your goals in using cover crops? And there's a number of, of different reasons you might use one. And so that, that could change the answer. Uh, but if, if weed suppression is the goal, biomass is king. And so really what we've found is that the cereal grains and especially the the winter cereal grains uh, tend to be most effective in Nebraska because they establish, you can get them established in the fall, you can get some growth, they overwinter uh, and survive the winter and then they, they'll, they'll start growing again in the spring. So cereal rye really is the one that has the most data associated with it. Um, we've tested it the most, it, mostly because it's been most successful for us. So there's other, we've tested other things, legumes, brassicas, you know, the, the tillage radish and, and hairy vetch and all these different things. And, and it's not that they don't have value, uh, but they haven't consistently performed in that, in that fall planting uh, to early spring termination environment. They, they, they're very hit or miss depending on, on the year and, and the region that we're growing them in. So uh, for that reason alone, I think cereal rise is, is kind of the go-to often. Exactly. And then, as you said before, you know, it depends on what your overall objectives are with the cover crop. So, you know, if you want to control uh, any sort of weeds, then as you, having cereal rye as a portion of the mixtures is absolutely going to be almost necessary, but uh, maybe not completely necessary. So, yeah, yeah. you know, with, with that biomass accumulation, depending on how termination of the cover crop is is performed uh you know as long as it's not through tillage or something like that you're going to have a lot of of material on top of the soil um and so with that that should persist through a portion of the season would you expect to see any reductions in any of the summer annual weeds that's something that uh is certainly of interest uh for for most growers is is especially with with the challenge of controlling pigweeds in our in our corn and soybean systems; uh, those are ones that really come to mind, uh, in particular. And we've done a little bit of that work, but there's a study that I really like that came out of Kansas a couple of years back, uh, where they looked at that exact question: uh, How well do cover crops uh, suppress Palmer amaranth? And in as you know, uh, Palmer amaranth is one of those weeds that's really difficult to control uh, mm-hmm. uh, for any number of reasons. Uh, we could spend a whole episode just talking about that weed, I think. Um, but a couple of things that I would highlight from that study that, that really stand out, and we, we alluded to this a little bit uh, when we talk about biomass, but uh, when, when they compared no cover crop to having a cover crop, uh, the first thing that jumped out at me is that just having a cover crop in the field, regardless of what the cover crop was, they had fewer weeds. They had fewer palmer amaranth weeds in the field. And so density was decreased. Uh, and that's significant. So that's just fewer weeds that now you have to control with some other method. And yeah. I think that's important to note. The other thing that they saw, and this is more tied to the cover crop biomass, is the more biomass you accumulate, uh, the smaller uh, the, the palmer amaranth uh, plants were, uh, which again, I think is really important. And the third thing that they, that they saw, and, and this is one that I think is, is worth noting as well, is 
is they saw a delay in emergence by about a month by having uh, a grass, a cereal cover crop uh, in, in, in the field. And so no cover crop, uh, about half of the Palmer emerged by May 15th by having a cover crop uh, that was delayed by almost a month. So they didn't get half of their emergence until June 15th. And wow. So just that delay in emergence of, of Palmer uh, can make a world of difference in terms of uh, canopy development in corner soybeans and, and having other things that can occur uh, in your in your system that, that would give you uh, even better chance at controlling that Palmer. So those are some pretty interesting findings, I thought, for controlling summer annuals. Those are outstanding findings. I mean, as everybody in Nebraska knows and, and all of Kansas, Palmer is a major issue, you know, whether it's through herbicide resistance or just the competitiveness of the plants itself. So that's a great tool to have in the toolbox. You bet. Yeah. So how might, you know, as we talk and think about how to utilize an effective cover cropping strategy to help suppress weeds, how might herbicide strategies impact this as a whole? So you know, whether that's your prior year herbicide strategy and in, in the overall establishment of your cover, cover crop, or even looking at next year's uh, subsequent herbicide program, will there any be, be any impacts uh, from either end of that? I think that's an important question uh, to think about. Uh, you know, we've designed our herbicide programs specifically to fit within our corn and soybean cropping systems. And now with cover crops, you know, we're thinking of adding another crop to that to that system. And so it, it only uh, complicates things. And, mm-hmm. and But it is important, I think, that we pay attention to it. What I've seen for the most part is for these spring applied uh, herbicide programs. So these residual programs and kind of an early post, you know, the V3 to V4 timing post-emerge applications. Uh, Most of those have pretty little effect on, on fall emergence uh, on, excuse me, fall established cover crops, fall planted cover crops. Uh, We don't tend to see too much carryover uh, over that length of time. now that, that certainly depends on the products you're using. That's not universally true, uh, but I think a lot of our programs uh, are fairly safe in that in that type of environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we often think too, though, about uh, in the spring if you have heavy cover crop residue, is that going to affect my pre-emerge uh, herbicide getting to the soil and being activated? Uh, and I think that that's something worth considering. Uh, I don't think this question is strongly different than, than uh, what about a no-till system where you have heavy corn residue? Uh, so it, it's, it's really a similar question to that. And, and so I think there are herbicides that can get hung up in the residue, but most mm-hmm. pre-emerge herbicides are water-soluble. And you know, with, with a good rain or an irrigation, uh, they'll tend to wash into the soil. And, and we've done a little bit of work, and, and nothing we've seen so far has suggested that um, – uh, we still don't get good control with our pre's by having a heavy residue. So, so that's important. Uh, the only other thing I'd point out is, is as we start to look at these different methods of integrating cover crops and we start talking about interseeding where cover crops are going to overlap for a larger portion of, of our cropping uh, system mm-hmm. or cropping season, uh, we got to pay just that much more attention in terms of what herbicides we're using in those kinds of environments. Absolutely. Now, now, just as we think about the economics of using a cover crop to suppress weeds, uh, is there any chance that utilizing a cover crop may be able to allow a farmer to um, either eliminate a pass through the field or reduce uh, the uh, his expenses in the herbicides he uses in a given season, or is the variability too high 
to be able to count on that year in and year out? Yeah, this is one of those where I, I wish the answer was yes, because I think <laughs> it would be outstanding to be able to say, uh, if you use a cover crop, you can eliminate your pre-emerge herbicide application. But I, the data just doesn't seem to support it. I don't think it's consistent enough year to year, environment to environment, where I feel good about making that kind of recommendation. And so uh, I don't I don't see it as a as a replacement as of yet. And so it's hard to assign, you know, let, let's say you have a, a $50 an acre application, an herbicide application, you know, to say that your, your cover crop is worth that $50 an acre application. I, I, there's not that one-to-one -one connection in, in my mind yet. And so the way I've started to think about it maybe is more like uh, how we think about uh, kind of the adoption of no-till. So there's these upfront costs maybe in, in, in moving towards no-till. You need a new planter, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but usually those economic returns from, from no-till that are often talked about, you know, they're not realized in the first or even the second year. It's, it's a multi-year investment before you can see the value of something like that. And I, I think cover crops are very much like that. So it's an investment you make in your system uh, and, and there's value in it. We know you're getting weed suppression from it, but, but to attribute an economic value in the, in the year that it was applied, I think is a real challenge. Uh, I hope that we improve in our ability to do that. But as of right now, I think it's, it's kind of an investment in your system and it's something that you recognize and realize over time. Exactly. And, and over time, you may not, you know, just see the, the benefits and the reduction in the overall weed pressure, but you know, there are the other benefits that come from cover crops as well, whether it be soil health, nutrient sequestration, forage potential, you know, watering, dewatering, whatever those, those benefits of cover crops may be uh, in totality, they'll probably have a long-term economic return that's positive as opposed to just looking at it in the first year or a single year of, of using the practice. That's right. Yeah. It's that, it's the multi, you know, it's the multiple benefits and the, and the long-term view I think is what's, what's critical. Exactly. So Chris, to, to kind of summarize what we've talked about today, uh, effectively what, what you've seen in your research as well as the research from others is that you can get up to a 75% reduction in weed biomass by using a cover crop that overwinters uh, and therefore planted in the fall and, and terminated in the spring. And that 75% reduction in uh, weed biomass is actually the direct result of, of the highest levels of biomass of cover crops. So the more cover crop you have, the less, the fewer weeds or uh, less weed biomass that you'll have. Uh, this can also extend into weed suppression as seen in Kansas through the reduction in total palmer amaranth. It can extend into the summer for summer annual weeds. And while you may not necessarily be able to reduce the amount of herbicide that's used or, or even a single pass of herbicides, uh, what you'll likely see is an economic return that occurs after several years of implementing the practice when you integrate in all of the different benefits of, her, of cover crops. Is there anything that you'd like to add to that summary? Yeah, no, I think that's great. I and mean, those are kind of the highlights for sure. The only thing that uh, does come to mind uh, when, when I think about uh, Nebraska cropping systems is just the challenge of managing these our herbicide resistant weeds. Uh, and again, this is a, a big topic. Uh, but the thing that I think is really interesting about about uh, the, managing these is how important uh, a multi pronged approach is. Mm -hmm. uh, so often we we put a lot of emphasis on our herbicide programs to manage these weeds. 
Uh, and when they work, uh, that's great. But when when herbicides, uh, for any for any reason, uh, you know, if you have a failure uh, with, within that program, uh, it can be a pretty glaring, uh, especially with herbicide resistance, right? It can yeah. be a pretty glaring problem, and and it can have pretty catastrophic effects down the road. And so, all that to all that to say, uh, using cover crops, well, they're not going to eliminate our weeds. Uh, it's a tool in the toolbox, and one of the key pieces uh, to managing uh, managing resistant weeds is, in my thinking, is 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 distributing the workload. And so, instead of asking uh, everything from our herbicide program, I, th- I think uh, you know if we can get seventy percent control uh, uh, or seventy percent suppression from a cover crop, like we were talking about earlier, well, in that situation, you're only going to need then thirty percent. Uh, control uh, the remaining 30% from your from your uh, herbicide program, uh, and if you add in something like row spacing, right, that could that could carry part of the load. And so, the idea being, uh, let's not put all of our eggs in one basket. But let's let's distribute it out and 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 have multiple strategies for managing these, especially challenging weeds, these resistant weeds uh, in our cropping system. I think if we the more we can do that. Uh, the better off we're going to be. And, and that's where I see the real value of, of cover crops coming into play in our cropping systems here in Nebraska. Exactly. No, that, that's a great addition. And, you know, distributing the workload of, of uh, our different control measures for managing weeds is a great uh, way to think about cover crops. That's a really good addition. So Chris, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Absolutely. My pleasure. I, I enjoy talking about these things. So I appreciate the invitation. Yeah. So as always, be sure to tune in on the 1st and 15th of every month for new episodes. And until then, stay field ready. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Rob Seco Field Ready Podcast. Join us next time to be field ready. A Parkville Media Production.